right, one more week here of our Heat Is On series. This is a bonus message today, right? It's like a bonus track. thought the series was only going to be through July, but we had one more hot topic to talk about today. One more hot... We can't talk about the heat is on without talking about when the heat is on sometimes. We're going to talk about staying pure in a sexually charged world. We have everyone's attention now? Yeah, yeah, the heat is on. We're talking about this series, when are there situations in our life when, when the pressure's on, when the heat is on, how do we respond, how do we handle those, kinds of, those times, and how do we handle that in a God-honoring way? And there's much in our society that is amiss when it comes to the idea of sexuality, and when it comes to this idea of this, this, this area in our lives, so much is broken, and, and it kind of makes me think of a story that, that goes a little something like this. No, it's a little story, a little uh, something that happened... Um, in, in my life, I had a, uh, I'm not going go in the direction you think here, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> I had a car. I had an Audi 100, a 1990 Audi 100. And I say that because some people are car people and you know what that is. And I was pretty proud of this car. I got this car after college. It had all the bells and whistles, right? It, had, it was a used car. It was older, but it had all the stuff like the Bose stereo, the sunroof. It had, you know, power seats and, uh, I mean, power, power windows. Everyone has that. But like leather seats and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and it had these nice heated seats as well. And when you live in Michigan or you live in Indiana, you live in the Northwest, somewhere over there, Midwest, um, you know how nice it is to have heated seats. Any of you could relate to that when you have heated seats? Yeah, you know, you just kind of turn them up a little bit and they begin to kind of warm you nicely. They often heat up before the rest of the car does. Um, except one problem was my, my seat on the driver's side wasn't working properly. And so it was broken and so I couldn't, I couldn't use it. And so it was always kind of, you know, it worked in the beginning, and then it broke, and, and I was really frustrated because I could never use that, but the passenger side seat did work. And so one day, uh, it was around Christmas, and my wife and I were flying somewhere, and I had my friend Trent ask him if he would take us to the airport, and I said, we can take my car, you know, save your gas, whatever. And so I went and picked him up, and he hopped in the passenger seat, Shannon um, sat in the back, and, and we're going to the airport, and his heated seat was turned up nice and toasty, right? He was nice and warm. He was enjoying that. And after we dropped to the airport, you know, we got out, and, um, and then he obviously switched around to the driver's side, as you would do if you swapped cars. And I didn't hear about this until afterward, but on the way home, he was sitting in that cold seat. Well, you know, it was, I warmed it, but he wanted that, the warmth of that, of that um, heated seat. And so he dialed it up. One, two, three, I think I had one that had like a scale of one to ten, like a little dial. And of course, he cranked it all the way up. And so he's driving home, and he tells me this, he's driving home, and he's going, oh, this feels nice feels really good. It's, it's actually warming nicely. It's getting even warmer. It's getting warmer. This is great. This feels like therapeutic on my back. It's almost like a massage, and he's kind of snuggling in, and he likes that, and he, he's driving home, and all of a sudden, he goes, ah! He lifts his leg. There's a burn mark. <laughs> There's a burn mark on the top of the leather, and, and, and on the back of his leg, and on his jeans, because one of the coils from the, heat, the seat, which I knew, and I forgot to tell him, the coil had come up right underneath the seat, and this is why I couldn't use it, because it would burn you, and I forgot to say that. And so he literally burned himself, and the seat has a little bit of a, like a, had a little burn mark on it there, right under the leather, and of course, you know, we still tell that story to this day. And you might be wondering what that has to do with the topic we're talking about today. It's because it's like this. Sex, sexuality, all those, that whole area of life, it's nice feels good, it's warm, it can cuddle you, it can be cozy, it can be comfortable, it can, be, it can just feel really good. But if it's broken, 
And if it's used in an improper way, in an improper fashion, it will burn you. And it will leave a scar and it will leave a wound. And so when the heat gets dialed up, kind of like it does on that car seat, there, sometimes there comes that point where we've got to realize, we've got to recognize, what do we do in the situation? How do we handle the situation? Now this morning, we've got, we've got all of us in different places. Some of us are married, some of us are single, some of us are teenagers, some of us are, are widowed, some of us are, we're all over the place. But sex and sexuality and, and this whole understanding is relevant to all of us. And so it's important for us to talk about that. Sexual temptation is everywhere, and it is causing a lot of pain. I've seen way too many young people as a youth pastor over the years, and even here in our church and in other places around the country, you see the pain that is caused by today's societal standards of sexual promiscuity. It is causing an entire generation to have a completely poor understanding, warped view of what sex and sexuality is. is all about and the context in which that is used and it is causing so much pain and, 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 and difficulty. People caught in pornography, men, women, children, teens, it's epidemic and it's dangerous. Hearts broken, spirits broken. There's people living together outside the bond of marriage, outside of that, that, that comfort and security of a marriage relationship, but these are accepted norms and standards in our society. And, and, and the question for teens and many becomes not if you're going to have sex, but when, when you find the right partner. You know, as long as there's love, as long as you're safe with it, you know, it's, it, it's just accepted. And, but it's leaving a lot of damage because we're not understanding the context in which it is to be. Marriages are being torn apart by affairs, explicit, some part taken another way. It's, it's, uh, it's done just emotionally. It's done relationally in different ways. Unhappy sexual relationships. These are all part of what people are experiencing in different ways if we, are, if we don't understand the proper context of, of sex and sexuality. And what happens when the heat is on? I, I can pretty much say that every single one of us either has been or will be in situations where there are temptations in the area of sex and sexuality that the heat dials up and we have a choice to make. We have decisions to make. Do we continue to follow that progress? Do we continue to snuggle into that warm car seat? <laughs> or do we go, I'm going to get burned if I, don't, if I don't do something here right away. And so what we want to look at today is how do we handle situations and how do, do we prepare ourselves for the time when that temptation comes and when that heat is on. And some of you may be in the midst of those situations right now. Some of you may be looking at some of that in the rearview mirror and others... All of us, at some point, will face again a time where we will have to deal with this. So, are we ready for this? Are we allowed to say that in church? Yes, we're going to talk about it. We're going to look at a story. And I want us to turn to the book of Genesis. book of Genesis, chapter 39. Because no one is immune. Actually, we're going to look at a story from approximately the 1800s. 1800s. Now we're going, man, did they have to deal with this stuff in the 1800s? We're not even talking 1800 AD. We're talking 1800 BC. Okay, This has been an issue for hundreds and thousands of years. This is not a new challenge for us today. This is not a new challenge just for America or the modern world. This has been an issue from the ancient Middle East to today to, expand, you know, spans the globe. And so we're going to look at a story um, out of Genesis chapter 39, and, and it takes place in Egypt. 
And in the, the mega superpower of that day in Egypt, there is a man who has been traded there as a slave. And the scene here takes place, this whole story in chapter 39, takes place at the house of a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was the, the captain of the palace guard. So if you put that in the today's context, he'd be like the head of the Secret Service detail for the president, right, at the White House, right? This is, this is his responsibility. He's a pretty high-ranking, very high-ranking official. But this takes place in his house. And as, as he has this prominent position in government, he's also in a position to have, to have some wealth, to have servants, to have people care for him. And it, it seems that he needed to have another servant or another slave in his house. And so he, he probably went out into the market that day, uh, you know, in his, in his uh, you know, royal garb or his, you know, his uniform or whatever he was wearing. It was obvious this was the, the captain of the temple guard. And he makes his way to the market, to the auction, where the slaves are being traded and, and, and bought. And here comes this, this caravan of, of Ishmaelite traders. Uh, traders. They've been walking through, the, wandering through the desert, and they arrive in Egypt. And, and here they unload this strapping young man, 17 or so years old. He's fit. He's from another, he's from another country. And, and he just something about him. And Potiphar looks at him, and, and he basically takes him. He says, this is the guy I want. I don't know if he paid for him, traded for him. I don't know how he got him. But he became the slave now in Potiphar's house. And his name was Joseph. Now, Joseph, if you are familiar with the biblical account and the biblical story, he had lots of brothers, and, and his brothers were jealous of him. And, and part of the reason he was now in this predicament was because they were so jealous of him that they actually threw him in a well, and then they were going to kill him, but they decided to use better judgment instead. Instead of killing him, they decided to trade him away to uh, these Ishmaelite traders that were traveling through the desert. And so he was traded away. The sons lied to their father, Joseph's father, Jacob, told him that he was dead, and so he was forgotten. He was off the radar. He was alone. He was traveling through this, uh, these other countries, not knowing what was going to happen. And here he arrives in Egypt and is taken into the house of Potiphar to be his slave. So this is the context from which the story happens. And so let me just read to you what the biblical account here says in chapter 39. Now, when Joseph arrived in Egypt with the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar a member of the personal staff of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was the captain of the palace guard. The Lord was with Joseph and blessed him greatly as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. So jo Joseph naturally became quite a favorite with him. Potiphar soon put Joseph in charge of the entire household and entrusted him with all his business dealings. From the day Joseph was put in charge, the Lord began to bless Potiphar for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs began to run smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't have to worry, and he didn't have a worry in the world except to decide what he wanted to eat. So life is looking up for Joseph. I mean, if it can look up in this situation, you've been traded away, forgotten by your family in a foreign country, you couldn't just text home or call home or look on the internet or Facebook. I mean, you were detached. There was no way for him to make any communication. He was starting a new life. And God began to bless him, and he was moving up in Potiphar's household, put in charge of everything, running all the affairs to the point where Potiphar didn't have to worry about anything except what to eat. There's no heat on here at this moment, is there? Life is going well. Things are going along. Maybe in your own life, your marriage seems to be going fine. 
Maybe you're happy in your singleness where you are right now or in the relationships that you have. Maybe things at work are going well. Your business dealings are going well. But here's the nature of sexual temptations. It can come up from out of nowhere. It can grab a hold of you. And how we respond is what's going to be the interesting question here. And here's what happened. And this is exactly what happened to Joseph. As we look at this next verse here, it says at the end of the second half of verse B, this recipe that's happening in 6B, Now, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. About this time, Potiphar's wife began to desire him and invited him to sleep with her. You see the recipe? See where this is going? (laughs) Right? Handsome, strapping young man, servant in the household, apparently a lonely woman who desires him, and she wants him to sleep with her. And so here comes this, this challenge, and I want to talk about temptation here for a little bit because it can come out of nowhere it can come from a woman it can come from a man it can come from the internet it can come from a movie it can come from a book it can come from your thoughts temptation can come from many number of places and when you least expect it when you think your life is cruising along but many times it happens when we're isolated when we're alone joseph here is in an isolated situation he's alone here with this woman and the temptation comes in a very strong way. When no one is around, maybe when we're at the office, when in front of our computer, when we're alone with our phone, we're alone with a book. Many times it's when we're away from family or we're on a trip or on vacation. I knew one, one man that I talked with really struggled whenever he went away on business. The temptation for pornography especially was very strong and had gotten stronger and stronger and was something that he was really battling with and dealing with. But we have this mindset in our society, right? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? There are times and places you can do whatever you want. You can set caution to the wind. You can put boundaries aside, and it's not going to have any consequences. It's not going to affect you in any way. And and, and so we get into these situations where, where we're tempted, and the challenges come. But what we see here, too, from Potiphar's wife, it says she desired him. Where does desire come from? Another word for desire is an appetite. And here's what I want us to understand in the church and and, and, in God's word. It never talks in a negative sense that we shouldn't think badly about sex and sexuality and our our sexuality as human beings. That's like saying having an appetite is bad. If you're hungry and eat, that's a good thing. Appetite is not bad. It's when we abuse the appetite, when we don't have limits on the appetite, when we don't understand the right parameters for the appetite, and when all we want to eat is Twinkies and cupcakes and ice cream and have it till our fill... You can say, hey, it's just an appetite. i got to feed it. Or you can start saying, what are the right boundaries and parameters? Well, the same is true in this category. And she has this appetite. She has a desire for physical fulfillment. Where does that come from? God gave it to us. <laughs> he wired us in that way. We are also, you know, we're emotional, spiritual beings, but we're also physical, sexual beings. And there is attraction. And we would be numb if we would say that wasn't ever the case and we just had no no interest no nothing ever tempted us in that way we're wired that way as human beings but that doesn't give us the right to say hey that's just who i am that puts us right in the animal kingdom and saying we don't have any control over our desires but temptation often begins with the eyes especially for men how do we look at the opposite sex how do we see them in this story potiphar objective uh, objectified joseph right He was the object of her desire. And and what happens in situations, whether it's man to woman, woman to man, what happens in these situations is we no longer see 
the other person necessarily from a relational aspect. We see it only from a physical aspect or from a desire aspect or, or just filling a need that we have. And we're taking it out of who that person is in the context of relationship, the context of that person's personhood. And she just wanted to have her own desires fed. And I think we have to ask ourselves the question is, what are we looking at that sparks desire? What are we hearing and thinking? What are we reading? I hear there's some books out there that some women like to read that may not be very healthy. We're in a sex-saturated culture. It's everywhere. You, you can't really avoid it. We were at the Phoenix Mercury game. I talked about it last week, but we were like uh, eight days ago. And during halftime or one of the quarters, you know, I'm sitting there with my, with my nine-year-old and uh, an eight-year-old. And, and, uh, and, and so there's a, you know, and during the halftime show and different, or different things, they were honoring different groups and nonprofits. And at one point, they had all the Girl Scouts out there. So it was filled with girls because especially the, the Phoenix Mercury women's professional basketball uh, does a lot to, to really engage young women and, and kids. And so they did a lot of that kind of stuff. Well, then they started promoing what other concerts are happening at the U.S. Airways Arena. And who was coming to town? Lady Gaga. And they didn't just say Lady Gaga's coming to town. It was full-on footage of her concert, dressed in who knows what kind of stuff. And, and, and you know, I'm a guy, I'm not going to lie, that catches our attention, right? I mean, that's how we're wired, we see that. But you know what I wondered, my, first, my second reaction was, whoa. And then it was like, what, I'm here with my... I'm here with my girls. Like, what is that doing? And I looked over at them, and I looked over at, at, at Miana, and, and she just was like, she, literally her face was like, she made this ick face and was looking, she goes, that is disgusting. I don't even want to see that. But here it is. We're in this public place. You know you know what it's like. You're watching TV with your kids during a normal hour in the, in the evening and the commercials that are on. And, I mean, it's everywhere, all the Viagra and Cialis. And, I mean, it's just everywhere, right? I mean, feminine issues. I mean, whatever. And you're going, I can't even watch TV with my kids. The shows that they're programming and, and, you know, I mean, I'm constantly, like, changing. See, like, we have, like, antenna TV, and if we're watching NBC, then I've got to change the channel, and it always goes to their weather channel, 12.2, you know. And so all the time, we're always watching the weather because it's, like, at least that's, like, maybe a little safe there uh, in between. But it's, it's all around us, and it's not just about protecting our kids. It's about me. It's about my family. It's about me as a guy and knowing what, 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 is, what leads us in that direction. Where does temptation come? And it can come out of nowhere. And sometimes it's because we're intentional or someone else's, but the fact is, it's all around us. So when the heat is on, how do we respond to temptation? And so this is where we really get in further into how Joseph responded. And it's a, it's, it's a beautiful approach. And I don't know that it was how intentional it was, but this is, this is what we read. So again, it says, Now Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and about this time Potiphar's wife began to desire him and invited him to sleep with her. But here's Joseph's response, verse 8. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I ever do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. What I see here right off the bat is Joseph is, is drawing some circles. He's drawing some parameters. What we get here is a little insight into Joseph's boundaries and what he understood to be these areas of where this is not appropriate. Here's the reason this is inappropriate. Now, if this was any kind of Hollywood film, anything on TV, this would be, we would go after that verse and we, would, we know where that story goes. 
you know, the music changes, and all of a sudden the clothes are flying, and there's this passionate scene going on in the bedroom, and, and of course they wake up the next morning wrapped up in satin sheets, and oh no, Potiphar's coming, and then we've got this crazy love triangle, and, and they're, but the love is true, and, and, and they're going to find a way, and oh, it's just so beautiful that it was unbridled passion, and, and how they just fell into each other's arms. This is the narrative of our society. This is what makes drama. This is what makes TV. This is what feeds into our desires and and inhibitions and just says, go for it, unrestrained. The first thing Joseph says is, look! (laughs) He's calling out. He's not just even just keeping it to himself going, I can't do this and goes away. He actually speaks to her directly. He says, look, I can't do this. You know, first, what he says is because of my integrity. Because of who I am. I've been entrusted with his entire household. Potiphar has trusted me. I've worked my way up. God has blessed me in this process. I'm not going to jeopardize my integrity here at work or in this relationship or who I am. Because of who I am, he had a solid understanding of who he was. That he said, I cannot break this trust of my own integrity and the trust of, of, of the man I'm serving. And then he says, he moves on and he says, you are his wife. Because of who you are. Right? It's not just our own self-indulgent things and, you know, well, we violate ourselves with it. Well, I can deal with it. And No, it's understanding and respecting the other person. This is because of who you are. You are his wife. There's a circle around you that is not to be touched, and I am not going to violate that because I respect you. And see, this can be true for married people, for single people, to say, you might not be somebody's wife right now or husband right now, but you will be in the future. And I'm going to respect who you are and who you're going to become. And out of that reason, I'm not going to violate this, this, this boundary. And then he comes back and he says, because who God is, right? How could I do such a thing against God? He understands at the core of his faith and understanding that the God who created him, the God who created sex, the God who created us as sexual beings, as physical beings, has given very complete and very specific and very clear parameters of how sex is to be fulfilled and enjoyed in the context of marriage. Now, of course, our society and many people in the church and Christians would say God does, obviously doesn't know what he's talking about. He designed this thing, but he's got it all backwards. He's got it all wrong. You know? And, of course, he gives us forgiveness, so you know, do whatever and we'll ask for forgiveness later. I mean, we just abuse this kind of thinking. But God understood there's a very specific context that he created them, man and wife, man and woman, husband and wife, in the bonds of marriage to be fulfilled as a union, that the two should become one. And that the two would stay one. And anything outside of that removes this, this, this act of sex as just a physical interaction and an emotional one that can be destructive. And so he understood these three circles and he says, I'm not going to violate my master. I'm not going to violate my integrity. I'm not going to violate you as a person. And I'm not going to violate my faith and I'm not going to violate my God. He understood that and he called that out. And I think this is what's so interesting is we have, first of all, you have to have your principles. But then he communicates them. And he says it to the very person, to the very situation, why this is wrong, why I can't do this. And, 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 and he articulates that. And maybe you're in a situation where you're do, dealing with maybe not another person, but other ways of temptation. Again, whether it's pornography or whether it's the things you're looking at or reading at or things like that. Do you ever express to somebody else, a friend, a spouse, or somebody else saying, these are our boundaries. I just want to verbalize them. I want to make clear that we know where we stand on this issue. Teenagers, college students, 
20-somethings, unmarrieds, we need to be clear on these issues. Married couples, we need to be clear where the boundaries are and we need to articulate them to each other. Joseph knew that. Now think about this. He's in a place where he has no accountability, really. He's far from family. He's far from his cultural context. He's, he's far away from all the, the norms that he grew up with. He could say, you know what, God, you screwed me over here. You left me desolate. I'm a slave. I'm in a situation where, you know, this woman has authority over me. And what the heck? I'm young. I only live once. YOLO. That stands for you only live once. Um, you know, that wasn't his attitude. He understood. What do you need to say to your boyfriend or girlfriend, to your spouse, to a friend about what your standards are? Because when you articulate them, there's no question about them. And now I wish I could say that at this point, he's clear, he has his foundations, he has his standards. Well, so have many other people in the faith. So have many believers who've still gotten into sexual struggles and temptations and failed. So there's got to be more than that. Well, here comes the pressure again that didn't go away. She didn't go, oh, Joseph, I understand. You've got these boundaries. (laughs) My bad. It's not how it happened. Verse 10, she kept putting pressure on him day after day, day after day, day after day. But he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as possible. Kind of takes it to another level, right? The heat's being dialed up. Like he, he withstood the one kind of challenge and test, but now it was relentless, day after day after day. But what did Joseph do? He didn't just keep reciting his principles. I have my principles, I have my standards, I'm not going to violate you, not God, not my master, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold to this. He had those, but he went a step further, and I think it's key in, that, in, that, in this version of Scripture here that says, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. What did he do? He altered his habits. He altered his routine. He got out of the situation in a way where it said as much as possible. Now we said we're in a saturated society with this where we can't always just avoid what's in front of us. But as much as is in our power, how do you avoid those situations? How do you get yourself into a different context day after day? And what I think is so powerful is he didn't flirt with it. I think this is a dangerous spot for many of us. We might have our standards, but we might flirt with it enough. We get closer to the flame. We get closer to the heat. I know a friend who got sucked into an old flame through Facebook, almost destroyed his marriage. Just a little click, friend request. An old flame from college, a little bit of interaction, looking at some pictures, sending some messages, maybe a time to meet, just talking, old friends. Came this close to destroying the marriage by God's grace. Came off the brink. Flirting with it. Maybe maybe you just want to see if you still got it. Man, it's been a while since you've been on the scene, but maybe you want to see if you still got it. You know, a little flirt, let's see if she takes interest. Ladies, you know, you pull that skirt up a little more, the blouse down a little more. Let's see if anyone notices. Let's see if somebody sees. Do I still got it? Maybe it's a little that, that, that flirtatious thing. You'll notice if you're maybe going out of your way to be with someone. We start altering our patterns sometimes the other way, and we start leading into it. Joseph did the opposite. He said, where's the boundary? I've got to change my pattern. I've got to avoid the situation as much as possible. I gotta move my computer into another room, or I gotta I gotta not be alone with person such and such. I can't go and do this or that with my friends. What are the habits that you need to change? We have to alter our routines and be intentional to avoid temptation. What do we watch? The sites we visit, the people we interact with on Facebook, who are we alone with? 
And here's what you need to know, and this is true of any temptation in any area of struggle, is when are you weakest? When your stress level's high? When you're feeling lonely? When you just life feels out of control? When you want to escape in the fantasy world? When your marriage is struggling? And so you take the issues of your marriage to another person. You're a man, and you take the issues of your marriage to another woman. And you start allowing some emotional connections to happen there instead of dealing with it in the context of your marriage? What are these, these pieces where we need to change our pattern to avoid the issues? More than principles and convictions, we need to change our habits and routines. When and where and with whom are you most susceptible? Joseph knew it had to be more than what I believe, but I have to actually change my life around how I believe this. Now, it would be nice to say at this point, pressure's off. I mean, he's dealt with it day in, day out. Potiphar finally, his wife finally understood. This guy can't have him. He's off limits. He's clear. I'm moving on. But that did not happen. It says this, beginning in verse uh, 11. One day, however, no one else was around when he was doing his work inside the house. She came and grabbed him by his shirt, demanding, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away. But as he did, his shirt came off. She was left holding it as he ran from the house. See how things kept getting hotter and hotter and the pressure kept getting on and on and more and more to the point where she was not going to take no for an answer. She grabbed his shirt and pulled him to her. And it would have been so easy for Joseph to rationalize this. You know, I've tried, God. So many times I've tried. Come on, you've got to give me some credit for trying, right? I'm a man. I'm desired. She's my boss. We're alone just this once. I don't want her to get me in trouble. What's the big deal? I remember times in my life, even in college, where even though I had these standards and foundations that I grew up with, it's starting to go in my mind, like, what's the big deal? God, what's the big deal about this? Everybody is doing that. She's pretty. She's cute. I like her. I'm a man. I have these feelings. We rationalize these things. But Joseph took it a step further. It wasn't just the patterns and the habits he changed. He didn't just kind of go, hey, and fall into her arms and go, whatever. He ran. He ran. I think the principle here is we've got to act fast. When we get into those situations, I'm not a woman. I don't know how you guys process some of that stuff. I know as men, when we let our thoughts linger a little too long, it's a dangerous thing. When we linger a little longer on that image that we saw or that one possible click, if you click it off, exit out, and move away, it's amazing how you can kind of overcome some of those temptations. But if you linger a little longer, take one little longer look, maybe it's in a physical way, another woman, you spend a little more time with her. Again, just apply it to your situations. When you begin to kind of lean into those situations versus acting quick and decisively, what do I believe? Who am I? Who is God? Who is this person? These, is not, these are not my habits and patterns. I'm here, and finally the pressure comes. I'm going to run. I'm going to act quick. I've got to do something about that. Changing the channel. How do we act fast? Change the channel. Turn off the TV. Take a cold shower. Don't click on that website. Turn off the computer. Unfriend that person. Throw that book or those movies out. Walk out of the theater. Change the, the channel you're watching. Stop talking to that coworker at your office. Turn the car around. See, Scripture tells us there's temptation's going to come, but God will always provide a way out from it. 
The problem is we don't act quick and we don't sometimes take the way out. Because there's an allure there. There's a desire, there's an appetite there that we want to feed in an unhealthy way. But Joseph acted quickly. I want to read to you from Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. This is a great um, passage and it's entitled, Avoid Immoral Women. <laughs> Pretty good. You guys are no fun. You're so serious. Loosen up a little bit. See, it's getting hot in here, right? I was like, ooh, conversation. He's talking here. He says, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. Then you will learn to, dis- to be discreet and will store up knowledge. The lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But the result is as bitter as poison, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave, for she does not care about the path to life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't even realize where it leads. So now, my son, listen to me. Never stray from what I am about to say. Run from her! (laughs) If you don't miss anything else today, if I don't hear anything, if there's anything I need to take from this message, just act quickly. Run. If nothing else, when all else fails, run from her. Don't go near the door of her house, right? Change that pattern. Don't flirt with that. Don't even get yourself in that situation. Because if you do, you will lose your honor and hand over to merciless people everything you have achieved in life. Strangers will obtain your wealth and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. Afterward, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body and you will say, how I hated discipline. If only I had not demanded my own way. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to those who gave me instruction? I have come to the brink of utter ruin and now I must face public disgrace. And then this line here, don't water, it says, it says this, drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why be captivated, my son, with an immoral woman or embrace the breasts of an adulterous woman? For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He, he will be lost because of his incredible folly. Good advice. It's a little bit harsh, but you know what? It's true. That's the thing. It's true. And we can avoid the truth. We can run from the truth. And we think it's better to do it our own way and our own path. But it's not. Now, you might say, well, okay, great. Things turned out so well for Joseph, didn't they? If you know the story, they didn't, did they? <laughs> At least not in the next chapter. Because as he's running away, she has a shirt. And basically she starts calling out, look, he raped me. The slave of yours that you brought into this house when Potiphar came home, he tried to attack me and he tried to run away and I still grabbed his shirt as evidence here. Potiphar throws him in jail. And you might go, great. That's the encouraging message. You stay true to your principles, you change your habits, and then you run and you get thrown in jail. I mean, his life was bad as it was and it was difficult as it was, but you know what? He went to jail with his integrity intact, and with his faith intact. And you know what would have happened anyway? Had he given in to her, he would have ended up where? <laughs> in jail. <laughs> he would have ended up there anyway. But we read this beautiful part of this next chapter, this conclusion where he's in jail, but it says that uh, after, in verse 19, after hearing his wife's story, Potiphar was furious. He took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. But the Lord was with Joseph there too. And he granted Joseph favor with the chief jailer. Before long, the jailer put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that that happened in the prison. 
The chief jailer had no more worries after that because Joseph took care of everything. And then it says this, the Lord was with him, making everything run smoothly and successfully. Eventually, Joseph gets out of jail. Eventually, Joseph marries. Eventually, Joseph has two sons, two sons that become parts of the tribes of Israel, two sons that when these nations that they then father and birth go into the promised land, end up having a land of their own back in the promise. And it makes me wonder, how would the story have ended and been written out had Joseph compromised, had he been unfaithful? And we just see here an example of someone who had a plan. I think that's the challenge that I want to give us today is you need a plan. Joseph had a plan. And here's the key. You've got to make your plan when the heat is off. (laughs) The time to kind of start formulating a plan isn't when the heat is on. At that point, it's too late. We don't think with our head anymore. We think with other things. Kids are no fun. Um, Physiologically, your blood leaves your head and goes to other parts of your body. And your brain no longer functions well. The time that you need to make a plan is when the heat is off. Hey, I used to be a youth pastor, and we talked about this stuff all the time. So adults, come on, you know, we can talk about this stuff. Um, we've got to have a plan. When the heat is off, we've got to say, okay, wh- what does my integrity demand of me? What, how am I going to be a person of integrity in the people that I serve, the people around me? Who am I? Who is the other person that I'm going to be violating, whether it's my spouse, whether it's somebody else, whether it's my future spouse? I'm going to hold my standards there. And what does God say? What does God's word say? And I'm going to articulate those things. I'm going to tell a friend. I'm going to tell somebody. I'm going to tell if I'm dating. We're going to talk about these are the boundaries. And here's a, here's a rule of thumb. Even though you have those boundaries, you will push them in dating relationships. I had boundaries with Shannon, and we pushed them. We get into situations, and, and again, you're not thinking clearly, so you've got to change your habits. You've got to change your patterns. Where am I going to be, and what kind of situations am I going to find myself in or not going to find myself in? Where am I weakest? I have to avoid those times. I've got to find a way out. And if all else fails, you pull the emergency lever. Run! <laughs> Act quickly. Be decisive in that moment. Don't linger there. And so when the heat is on, you're not going to get burned like my friend Trent did on his rear end sitting in my car that day. But in a much worse way, you're going to have a way out. Now here's the thing. We've all messed up in this area. I've messed up in this area. We've all messed up in this area. Different ways and different places. And so this isn't about how do you live the perfect life and how do you never screw up. Now Joseph gives us a great example of a, of a win, of a great victory that he had in this area. We read about other Bible characters, David and Samson, and go down the list of folks who messed up in this area. We know of people and stories. We can tell them here of, of, of failure. But the piece that we need to come back to is God's grace. And his standard isn't there to make our life miserable. His standard is there to give us freedom, to actually let us live life to the fullest, to experience what our marriages can really be like, what a dating relationship can be like, what a future can be like if we guard ourselves. And so that's what we want to strive for. But God's grace covers everything. I heard it said this last week in some way that there's nothing in our lives that can be uncovered that grace hasn't already covered. There's nothing in our lives that can be uncovered that grace hasn't already covered. And for us to find the freedom from that. When Jesus was brought, to Jesus was brought this woman caught in the act of adultery and she was going to be stoned for her for unfaithfulness and all this stuff, Jesus sends everyone away because he said, who is without sin? Cast the first stone and they all left. 
he says to her, woman, where are your accusers? I don't see any. I'm the only one left with you. And he says, and neither do I condemn you. God's not in the business of condemning us. But then what he does say, he puts his arm around her and he says, go and sin no more. There's forgiveness, there's grace, there's healing, there's renewal. But let's set the path forward from this day forward. What are we going to do? Deal with these situations. Have a plan. Change your habits. Act quickly. And watch the freedom and life that God can bring. Let's close in prayer. I'm going to ask you to stand. And maybe just even reflect. And again, maybe you're in a situation right now where the heat has just been dialing up and you need to dial it down and find a way through this that's not going to destroy something very important. Maybe there's just something that's been nagging you for years. I've had people come to me and tell me stories you wouldn't believe about what they've experienced in their life. And I just want to say, God's grace forgives that. Why are you holding on to that? Why are you beating yourself up over that? Why do you continue to carry that around as your own self-punishment? Let God bring forgiveness, grace, healing, a fresh beginning. He sees you the way you are today. Surrender to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for all these stories of heat is on moments in so many different arenas of life. And even today, God, we, we know this is a real challenge in different times in our lives and different places. Would you give us the courage to remember the story, to remember your word, to do the things that are said here? Father, that we would find life and not be tangled up in things that really destroy so much of who we are and, and the path you might have set for us. In this time now as we close, God, we just want to surrender to you. We want to thank you for your love and grace, the forgiveness on the cross as we take communion. Father, as we light candles to, to just signify your life, maybe something in you that's died, you want to rekindle that passion and you want to make that your prayer before God. Or Father, may we just come and kneel before you and, and pour out our hearts to you and just pray or pray with somebody. Work in our hearts as you see fit right now and thank you, thank you, thank you for your grace that covers all.